let me see if I use this right. Okay, so I want you to like just yell at me or something, or be all grumbly. Well, like I know, but I'm with you. Yeah. Shut up! Hey, all right, now don't get all argy bargy with me. Uh, you're using it completely wrong. What? I thought Ar- no. Yeah, I thought argy bargy means you're getting snippy or something. No, I thought that was like an I'm- 80s techno group. No, an argy bargy is a, a fracas. What? You can't get argy bargy. An argy bargy is a, a fight, a, a conversation, um, an argument. You're using oh. it contextually wrong. Mm. You you get in an argy bargy. Yes. You can't be an argy bargy. No. Gotcha. Well, see. Oh, all right. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dex. We might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts... Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Founders, a Terak Noor podcast. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today... What is that sound? That's actually the episode that we're talking about. I've just got it playing with subtitles on, but I haven't turned the volume down. You're trying to pump up the volume. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume. You're like Christian Slater, you're pumping up the volume. I am am like Christian Slater in Star Trek VI. So if you're listening now, if you're you're listening now, you'll hear behind me there's Leggett Bill Robinson. I'm Golden Cat. Leggett Leyland, surely. Leggett Leyland. We have Vorda. Andrew Leyland. <laughs> Volta now. I am honored that you're here, Changeling Paul. <laughs> and we have Gull David Weeder, which oh. makes him G. David Weeder. I thought you were going to do the, the, the J. David Wayun. <laughs> that would have worked, too. <laughs> I was thinking G. David Weeder, though. Kind of like G. Gordon Liddy. There you go. Yeah, well, it's interchangeable. G. So. David Wayun. I love that. <laughs> Today we are here to listen to the... Or to listen to, to discuss... The season five finale, Call to Arms. The assault was inevitable. Prepare for Dominion attack. Now, Deep Space Nine's only hope this is war. could become its last stand on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, which first aired on June 15th, 19th. June 16th, 1977. And guest stars Andrew Robinson, Jeffrey Coombs, Mark Alamo, J.G. Hertzler, Chase Masterson, and Melanie Smith. But before I get to that, do we have any news to discuss? There is yet another Star Trek animated series in the works over at Nickelodeon. Oh. <laughs> Who's snoring? Me. Oh. Well, you don't like the first one? <laughs> I, I, I thought the first one was fine, but the first one was was kind of angled at an age where anyone could watch it. If you're specifically making it a kids show, I'm a little bit confused. No, 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 no. I don't know. Nickelodeon has had animated shows that were not necessarily fully blown kids shows, like Avatar: The Last Airbender. I don't think <laughs> that's, that was that, that's very true. But isn't this being marketed as a kids show? I don't know. Dave, how about you give us some more news before you're rudely interrupted? There's there's not much more to it. It's it's being developed right <laughs> well, now. Well, shut up, then. <laughs> <laughs> Have we heard anything about the concept? No, not really. Mm. Just that there's a show. That they're, and they're working, they're developing it at Nickelodeon. Well, there's that's this. certainly enough for the internet to damn it. Yeah. <laughs> as it's, much it's, the way Andrew has. Yeah, well, does this not feel to you a little bit like what Disney are doing with Star Wars? Let's just chuck loads of ideas out there and, and see what gains any traction. And it's like, I no, I'm not. You know, it may be great. I hope that it is. Well, but, is so wait, this is on Nickelodeon. Is this going to be on? Well, okay, it's being developed. But well, you know what? You don't have any more information. Where I was going with that well, no, was, it's, it's not going to be all access. I can tell you that. that was my question. Yeah. Okay. But that that is my concern because. 
you know, we went from having no new Star Wars, Star Trek material to now all of a sudden we're, we're being inundated with it. Now, it could all be high quality, but odds are that there's not going to be, you know, not everything is going to be of equal But everything quality. is going down the this uh, and, the and you trend. it. Well, no, no, not not that, but everybody's putting no, it behind my paywalls. Concern. Well, yeah, but everybody's putting it behind paywalls because Netflix has now set the standards. Everybody's pulling away from cable with Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon, and now everybody wants their own streaming service. And, and not all of them are going to succeed. Right, but for a while, every, it's like, well, if you want to watch this, you're going to have to pay 8 bucks a month, and you're going to want to watch this, you're going to have to pay 8 bucks a month. I'm not going to do it. No, me, me neither. I've I've got Netflix. I've got so many. I've got too many things to watch now that I don't have time to watch. I am not going to spend extra money just for one stupid show. It's not. I, I am. I am starting to lean towards the idea of canceling cable and cherry picking streaming services. I did it three too. years ago. I know. I'm much happier. Yep. Same here. Yeah, so I'm I'm leaning towards that. But my biggest thing is. I need to figure out which one gives me access to uh, basic. The most important for me is the Met games, but sports in general. Mm. I know ESPN does have a streaming service that I believe is no, not a charge uh, that I can get with my Fire Stick. Well, with with kind of tangential to what we're saying, is there a point in fandom where, without damning what's coming out, you're just is, is it okay to sometimes just walk away from what's coming out currently? Yeah, <laughs> it's like totally. comic, it's like comics with Back to the Bins. Yeah, you know, we I mean, we. we we focus on the stuff that came out 30, 40 years ago, and we're, we're not being bothered really with the stuff that's currently coming out. But if yeah, there's a there's a, there comes a point where you you I can't keep up with everything that's coming out as it currently stands. You know, Cloak and Dagger and the Inhumans and all these new shows that Marvel I even, announced. I, I, I forgot Joker. that one. I haven't even watched yeah, that yet. I, yeah. <laughs> you can't keep up with all that as it is. So I'm not going to pay money to keep up with something I'm not keeping up with anyway. And it's it's like we had three Star Trek shows in quick succession, some erring over the top of each other with the next gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But all of them were free to err. And it was still only two shows at any one time, which is only 90 minutes of your time a week. So once you start getting into the system where they're going to have Discovery, which the rumours are it's going to get a third season, because the writers have said they've already started blocking it out. And I don't think they would be doing that if they hadn't received like the nod that it was probably going to happen. Mm. Then you've got the Picard show, which Patrick Stewart has said is earmarked for a three-season run. Now, we don't know how many episodes in a season that's going to be. I can't imagine Patrick Stewart's going to commit to more than ten, but we'll see. But then you've got the Section 31 show, which I have absolutely zero interest in as much as I love Michelle Yeoh and then you've got two new animated series you've got the Lower Decks one and now this Nickelodeon one and it's like I don't want to spend all of my time just watching Star Trek but that's what they want you to do yeah but so it comes a point where it may all be very very good but there just comes a point where I just don't have the time to watch all of this stuff. But I think they may be going for more of a Nickelodeon model. Not, you know, they are doing it differently in that Nickelodeon would drop an entire season at once and you'd watch it at your own pace. Whereas CBS All Access is dropping an episode a week, uh, almost as if it's airing live. Mm. But if they, if they do it the way they do it on Nickelodeon, basically you'll have time to watch the season of Discovery before the season of Picard starts. And then when the season of Picard starts, will be while Discovery is in production for its next season. And if, if they stagger them that way, it's really not that invasive on your time. Right, okay. Well, like, yeah, we'll, but- we'll just have to wait and see what the plan is. At the moment, it just seems to be Alex Kirksman is throwing loads of shit at the wall. And seeing I think what we're still... I think we're still used to the old model where, you know, where we'd have the next generation of Deep Space Nine coming out during the traditional TV season at the same time. So you'd have two episodes a week to watch just to stay up on them. But that's that's really kind of an outmoded model at this point. We don't really see that anymore with the streaming services. Yeah, but they're they're not releasing these staggered as any, you know, way to help you watch them. They're doing that to keep you paying your renewing monthly yeah. To watch them, which oh, I'm not saying that they're benevolent. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Are benevolent streaming I, masters, <laughs> but but they will, you know, they will have to factor in if we if we throw it all on the you know all out to the audience at once. 
it's going to overwhelm people because they're not going to be able to watch it. It's going to be, you know what, it'll be, it would be what happened with me with the WB superhero shows. I got yeah. overwhelmed by all of them, and finally I said, the hell with it, I'm not watching any of them anymore. Yeah, they, I'm the same with that. The only one of them I'm up to date with is Legends of Tomorrow, because I find that one the most fun to watch. I am, but it, like, if by up to date, you mean, if by up to date, you mean you watched last season's opener, then I'm, e- I'm equal to yeah. you. <laughs> no, I'm a little bit past, I think I've watched five of Legends of Tomorrow, but I don't borrow the arrow anymore. I've dipped out of the Flash, so I've oh, seen a couple of episodes of Black Lightning, but there's just, again, like you said, there's just too many of them. And I also found them to all be too similar. They all have the same yes. kind of, you know, support group to the hero, and it, it just yeah. got to be too much of, you know, of the same over and over again, and I burnt out on it. Yeah, so it just becomes which is your preferred flavor at that point. And I actually think of the lot of them, it is Legends of Tomorrow that is the most different. It's the one that seems to take the most chances in its storytelling. It's the one that knows it's ridiculous and embraces the fact that it's ridiculous. And it's the one that has a very, very keen sense of humor about itself. The others... There's, there's humour in the others, but sometimes they take themselves a little bit too seriously. Yeah, Legends of Tomorrow is a it's a Silver Age, it's a DC Silver Age TV show. Yeah, it's all credit to the producers that the first season was exactly like the other shows. And somewhere in between season one and two, somebody took a step back and said, you know this show's ridiculous, right? And somebody said, yeah. And another producer said, so why don't we just embrace the, that it's ridiculous? We've got a bunch of actors here who are really good comedy actors. Let's do that. And that's what they've done. And it, it doesn't negate some of the more serious storylines and the topics that it tackles, but it tackles those topics very much in the same way that Quantum Leap did. It's this, we're more enlightened than this past time. This past time was quite racist, but that's what this past time was like. Let's let's talk about that, and let's talk about how we've changed and grown over the years. And it never does it as heavy-handedly as, say, Supergirl does. Supergirl is very heavy-handed. <laughs> And uh, an arrow is way, way too takes itself way too seriously. Uh, they just, like I said, I burnt on all of them. But uh, I, I'm, I'm back on board, even though I'm doing it slowly. I'm back on board with the Nickelodeon shows that I've kind of fallen off on uh, because I got reinvigorated by Daredevil season three. You mean ne- Netflix? Netflix, yeah. Uh, Netflix. What did I say? Like, you say- I, d- I don't think Punisher season two is going to be on Nickelodeon. <laughs> oh, Nickelodeon! Yeah, brilliant. All right, yeah. Well, you know what? We're talking about networks and going back and forth, and my head is spinning. But uh, on the on the uh, Netflix shows, I guess you know they both begin with N. Uh, you know, Daredevil season three, I kind of watched by chance because I was kind of burnt on all of those also, and I loved it. So now I'm back, and I'm going to catch up on all the other ones. Spoiler: These shows come to an abrupt end. Yeah, I know, but I, I I still have hope that they will somehow be revitalized at some point. From your from your lips to God's ear. Well, no, Daredevil season three did have you know it it had the opening for them to do season four mm-hmm. certainly, but it did have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, well, Daredevil so, season three. Is, you know, I'm is, fine with it. I loved I loved it. I will buy it as soon as it comes out on disc. I, I, I'm, I'm with you totally on that. It was great. I thought it was just so engaging. Once I got past, I think, about the second or third episode, it started a little slow. But once once it got rolling, it was... I'm, I'm not sure, but it may have been the best of the uh, Netflix series. Well, I think that's the thing with the Netflix shows, isn't it? All of them weren't as good as Daredevil. True. Mm, I thought Luke Cage ended up pretty good. That uh, was another one, same same pattern. I I got bored of Luke Cage. Okay, I was a little bit bored of the first season, but the second season I thought ended at an interesting place. The first three episodes of Luke Cage bored me, and then they did the origin episode, and then I was hooked. Yeah. <laughs> but Especially when he, when he walked out with the tiara on his head. We're not here to talk about Netflix superheroes. No, we're not. That's just an extra we're bonus, people. Talk. Well, yeah, I, I, I was trying to bring us back and say that I have bought season one of Discovery. Yep, me too. Uh, I, be, because I wanna, I'm want i curious as to what extras are on there. I hope there's good extras. Are, are there, Dave? Have you I haven't watched the extras, but yeah, there's some extras. There, there's a few hours of extras, so. Some commentaries, too? Yep, on select episodes. Sweet. Nice. Are they commentaries by the producers that have since been sacked? That's a possibility. I'd have to go look, but <laughs> it's all the way over there. Because I noticed they're not doing After Trek this year as well. Well, that's because After Trek was awful. Yeah, but it was <laughs> occasionally nice to see the actors. Yeah. Like, when Jason Isaacs is always good value. 
So mm. it was always fun whenever he'd show up on it. And it was fun to see some of them out of the makeup as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of, I have some related Star Trek news. Uh, well, of course, One it's old news by this time. <laughs> I was, we had to burn out our news in the next set. episode of nothing. <laughs> I was... I was it, I was at a job site, which was actually an active hotel. I was doing some programming, blah, 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 for what I do at work. And I was sitting in the bar, not drinking, doing my work. And on the TV, they had Let's Make a Deal. And Wayne Brady is the host. But it was like Star Trek. Cool? Not No, no. I don't think Monty is with us anymore. Uh, and um, they had... It, it was. It must have been Star Trek Day or a week or something because all the people in the audience were dressed in Star Trek outfits. And during one of the prize things, they had the uh, the woman that plays. Uh, I can't remember her. She's on Discovery. She's the leader of the Klingon Empire right now. Oh, Mary uh, Kifa. Yeah. Yes. She she came out, but she was not in co- costume. And I was like, I'm looking at her, going, Oh, okay, yeah, that that is who, who that is. So it was. Uh, yeah, that's my Star Trek news. I'll I'll be quiet now so we can start the show. But they had people dressed in different, you know, outfits, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and Borg outfits and everything. Everybody's jumping around and their wigs are flying off and everything. I would definitely want to come out as a Gorn. I would come out as a Horda, just a big pile of, like, spaghetti and meatballs. And- <laughs> no kill eye! No bid eye! <laughs> <laughs> so, Call to Arms, the season finale for season five. Very excited about this. Now... Upon learning that the Romulans and other major powers have signed non-aggression pacts with the Dominion, Starfleet Command orders Captain Benjamin Sisko to prevent further Dominion reinforcements from reaching Cardassia, their first foothold in the Alpha Quadrant. A plan is devised to block the entrance to the wormhole with a field of self-replicating mines. Rom's idea. But the mines cannot be activated until they are entirely wait, 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 deployed. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say mines? Yes. Oh, not mimes. Okay. All right. Never mind. Good thing we good thing we have you here, Bill. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I just didn't want to see all those guys dying in space, going trapped in a box. Anyway, the mines cannot be activated until they are entirely deployed. The task will take several several hours to complete. Shortly after deployment begins, Wayun declares that Deep Space Nine will be attacked unless the mines are removed. Knowing that Starfleet reinforcements are unavailable, Sisko asks General Martok to patrol the border while the Defiant continues deployment. Sisko also notifies Kira that he will endorse the non-aggression pact offered to Bajor by the Dominion in the hopes that it will keep Bajor out of the coming fight and in turn war. Ram and Lita are married by Sisko in his capacity as the emissary and a Starfleet captain. As the Dominion fleet approaches, Sisko orders a civilian emergency evacuation of DS9. Starfleet and Bajoran militia personnel remain to defend the station until the mines are completely deployed. Dominion forces attack and are met by DS9's armaments and Martok's vessel, the Rotaran. After the minefield is activated, Sisko orders the Starfleet personnel to evacuate as well. The Bajoran militia remains about aboard the station, as do Quark, Rom, Morn and Jake Sisko, who intends to serve as a reporter for the Federation News Service while the station is occupied by the Dominion. After surrendering DS9, Kira disables the station systems by activating a preset computer program. Sisko informs the Starfleet personnel that while the station was being captured, a combined Starfleet slash Klingon task force had wiped out the Dominion shipyards in the Alpha Quadrant. Wayun reveals that it cost over 50 ships to take the station. Aboard the Defiant, Sisko is informed that Jake is not aboard and must still be on DS9. O'Brien asks whether or not they should go back for him. An angered Sisko responds that he can't risk the ship and its crew for one person, even if it is his son. He is a man, Sisko reasons, as he slumps back into his seat and says, maintain current course. On Deep Space Nine, Kira, Odo, and Quark welcome the Dominion aboard the station. Afterwards, Guldicott reclaims his old office in Ops, where he notes the baseball left behind, a message to him that Sisko will return. As Sisko faces the view screen with a defiant glare, the defiant and Retaran circle around to join the massive Federation Klingon task force. To be continued. I, uh, you know, we, we had a whole lengthy discussion about how they had laid out the seasons and if they you know when they knew they were starting to go towards the end game and this is a cliffhanger that clearly to me signals they're setting up for the the end game in fact it almost feels like wow they're going really full force into this i don't know how they're going to do two seasons 
with the way they're bringing us to a head so quickly. Now, all that said, with hindsight, I could say they did fine with that. But this was just, so, you know, this this put me on the edge of my seat when I saw it the first time, and it continues to now. It gets me very excited about watching season six. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed this, and we'll get into more details later, but I'm curious if you guys agree. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's the best season finale since Best of Both Worlds Part 1. You took you took my, yeah, you took my words right out of my mouth. Must have been why I was kissing you. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the 21st century. What are you doing ooh for? Dave's a good-looking guy. Yeah, you so don't know Andy. where his mouth has been. Well, that's true. I know, it's, I know exactly where <laughs> his mouth has been. Yours. Yay. Yeah, I think this is a bl- it's a blistering season finale. Uh, without actually being a cliffhanger, it's still kind of a cliffhanger. Uh, the characterization throughout the entire show is brilliant. It is edgy seat stuff, exactly like Paul said. There's brilliant individual moments to kind of hide the fact that there's not actually a through-line story per se, but it's it's such a good episode from the point of view of taking everything that they've set up over the years and starting to pay it all off from the little touches like Nog and Lita asking Commander Sisko or Captain Commander, Captain Sisko to marry them, to Jake's job to all, it's just a, a brilliant episode and the fact that the guest cast is almost completely recurring players that we've seen before is is brilliant because they're able to pay off loads of stuff that they've been setting up. It's great. Yeah, I, I loved I loved Ram when he came up with the idea. How his mind kept going back and forth <laughs> between between the the occupation and the uh, wedding. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great to, to mine the wormhole. Yeah, but just just a great comedic moment and also integral to the plot. Mm. So it was just you know very very well done, and I thought uh, I thought he did a good job of playing it as well. You know, just the acting with it because that could have just been you know really really hammy, and it, it kind of was a little hammy, but it was still it was hammy just, in a good way. It was so much fun to watch that it was okay that it was hammy. Yeah. There's also lots of interesting interesting little nuggets, like, is Jake really got a conflict of interest as a writer that is apparently he's quoting his dad without his dad's permission? Yeah. <laughs> that is unprofessional. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that if his dad didn't know what he was saying was on the record, that that was, that was a little bit against the grain that he would do that. Okay, so is he really a reporter for the Federation News Service? Or, you know, if if someone if someone was to inquire, would they sit there? You know, yes. Uh, do you have a Jake Cisco to work for you? Who? Where? What? <laughs> I mean, is he just using that as cover so that uh, you know the uh, Dominion doesn't just outright take him hostage? Or not to take? Well, they'd probably do that anyway. Well, they establish in this episode, don't they, that Jake is the emissary's son. True. Yeah. And the Dominion have a non-aggression pact with Bejo, so to take the emissary son hostage would probably be frowned upon. Yeah. But it's just lots of other little stuff as well, like the opening with Kira and Oda, where they're being really frosty to each other, <laughs> without actually mentioning the events of Children of Time. The fact that what we discussed about when we watched that episode, the fact that Kira is the only one who knows what Odo did really makes this work much better than just, well, I found out that he fancies me and I'm a bit uncomfortable with it. When you say what Odo did, I just kind of picture saying, what did you do and smacking him in the nose with a rolled up newspaper? <laughs> well, I love but, that uh, these two are, they're, they're, they're like, oh, all, all we have to do is prepare for war. We can just not deal with this. This is great. They're more, yeah, they're more awesome. into, you know, yeah, preparing for war and getting that ready than, than emotional uh, high five at each other. Yeah. We're going to be invaded. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that is perfect for Odo's level of uh, emotional maturity because that's something a, a teenager would do. We'll just pretend that this isn't going on, that I don't care. You know, that that's <coughs> instead of res- instead of trying to resolve it in his own mind or just getting past it in his own mind, we'll just pretend it doesn't exist and then we'll we'll worry about it later. Now, Kira, on the other hand, you know, she's used to falling in love and into bed, you know, at the drop of a hat. So I'm a little surprised that she would uh, do that because clearly. You could even see the way they're writing her. She's starting to warm up to the idea of being with Odo. Yeah, normally her bad relationships are with people who wander in and off the, on and off the station, so... And are very dull. Yeah, well, that too. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that says something about Kira? That she went through all this time where she was a resistance fighter surrounded by interested men, that now she just wants dullards. 
Maybe she's just, tired well, just, of interesting men. Maybe she just hmm. wants somebody that's plain and relaxing and she wants like a she wants plant. Some, she wants a regular life. Exactly. Or does it right. does it say that because she's got such a strong dominant personality oh, that she that she needs somebody who's going to just let her do her things her way and not battle her on it because she doesn't yeah. want to have to fight with them. I think the couch should go there. You have no opinion, okay, dear? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I've been there for those conversations. I think I've been part of them. Wait, you mean at my house? Oh, never mind. I spoke too much. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought the whole thing with uh, with Cisco pushing the non-aggression pact with Bajor was a, you know, it was a little bit of a twist, and it was a good twist because it made total sense. And, you know, he knew that, really, Bajor could back out of that at any time. But for right now, it was to their advantage, because otherwise they would have been probably collateral damage in all of this. Mm. Plus, they could have been used as a, you know, as a, uh, effectively as a hostage by the Dominion. Yeah. And uh, his conversation with Wayun where they both be nice to each other. And then you'd use that quick cut to him addressing his senior officers with, they're going to attack, was one, was my favourite part of the episode. Just that n- both of them knew they were bullshitting, and both of them hadn't fallen for it. Take care, bye-bye, toodles. And he's going to attack. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Worf's reaction to that as well. It's like, okay. Get it on. How, how do self-replicating minds work? As they explode, they make new ones just before they explode. (laughs) Okay, all right. Is there any basis in science for that? Yes. Okay. I'm still more terrified by the idea of self-replicating mimes all all over the station. That's that's what's got me more scared. (laughs) You phase one for those guys. Well, maybe that mime. You you phase her one and two appear in its place. Oh my god! They keep replicating. That, that the the, the basis for the minds is they said they could do it. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I was kind of like, wait, how do that? You know, and that brings me to to a point. Well, I'm going slightly off topic because you, I was listening to your Palace of Glittering Delights plug, plug, plug for your show, Andy. Although no Thank one you. will hear this till months later. <laughs> how does Spock in the city on the edge of forever? Isn't he supposed to be accessing the ship's computer with the tricorder? And where does he get this alternate history? I, that whole scene just... Anyway, we should save that discussion for another time. That whole scene bugs me. I was driving around listening to you talk about it going, No! No, that makes no damn sense! Why doesn't it make sense? Why doesn't it make sense that the tricorder is cached? No, because... It's I got believe Wi-Fi. It, I gotta go back and watch the episode, because I swear he says he's accessing the ship's computers. Where? He's got yeah, Wi-Fi I... that goes through time and space. I don't remember him saying he's accessing the, the chip's computers. I get I... that he's accessing the data that is on the tricorder that he recorded to the tricorder when he was As monitoring he the Guardian of Forever. Yes. So that information is in the tricorder and has not, as yet, been able to be uploaded to the ship, because obviously the ship doesn't exist anymore. I but when he, accesses, when he accesses that data that he has recorded, the minute McCoy comes back through time, that data changes. All right, I'll accept that, but i got to go back and re-listen, because I swear he says that he's tied into the ship's computers, and that has never made any sense to me, if that's the way I heard it. Yeah, no, you're probably... If if he says that, then you're absolutely right. The scene makes no sense whatsoever, which is why my headcanon is that that data is all the stuff that he has just recorded from the I will accept your headcanon and overwrite my own. Anyway, with regards to this episode, the self-replicating mind, I love the way that they know that that is clearly bunk. So they just say, it's self-replicating minds. It works, okay? (laughs) If, if If they had such a thing, it wouldn't be such a shock that they thought of using it. Because, <laughs> you know, it's it's like Ron pulled it out of nowhere. Like, oh, we could do this. You know, that, if they had such a thing, it would be it would well, be a so... much more common tactic. But now, when you think about mines, think about mines in Asia during wars and whatever. There have been problems, at least as I understand it, with mines that were set and then the conf- confrontations ended and there's still mines yeah, out those there. those mines are still out there, yeah. And you can't just, you know, you can't just turn them off. Yeah, but the Federation would know where they all are. They obviously have some type of app. Yeah, but what do they have, like a remote control to just shut them off? Sure. Because if they, yeah. if they do, then is, then why wouldn't the Dominion just be going after that? Well, because... No, I I think they would have to go back and gather them all up again. Oh, they would but have to gather you... them. They would yeah. turn off the cloaking device. They would turn off would the cloaking device. Yeah. 
that and my problem so you, with you it do is, that with a remote control. My problem with it is the is the self replication bit. You can't just replicate nothing. That matter has to be coming oh, from man. No, no. Okay. As, right before the mind, okay, the mind detects incoming laser or whatever going to destroy me. What it does is I'm thinking on my feet. So what it does is. <laughs> The sensors say you're about to be destroyed. It activates its self-replication mode, pulling out gases. or Because th- there's lots of things in space, even though you can't see them. It probably takes a part of itself and basically leaves a tiny bit that will explode to make it look like the mine was destroyed. But it's actually basically transporting itself into a new location using surrounding gas or things in space to create a all, new mine. All the wormhole itself. Exactly. So wouldn't, all right, okay. would, wouldn't that actually be almost a better plan? Instead of having self-replicating mines, have transporting mines that as, as you shoot a laser at it, it just moves to another spot? Nice. I like that. Yeah, they just beam somewhere else when they detect that they're being shot at. Now, the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> hole, in, the hole in that plan, but the hole in that plan, as I'm just trying to figure this out as I'm saying it, if you set a wide beam of, of phasers then the mines right. in that path would transport away and you'd be opening up a space for you to fly through. Mm. Yeah, because theoretically... But, 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 okay. but they would detect, like, they, they, they know they have to cover a certain area. So they would disappear in that spot and then <laughs> they would beam back in to fill it after the phaser has gone through. Right, okay. Ah, uh-huh. uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. So, so, yeah, so if the phaser is at the front of the ship that's coming through... When the mine relocates itself, it would relocate itself by where the ship is and explode. But then you'd have an opening because that mine would no longer exist, which is why you need self-replicating. You know, because as they explode, point, think, as they explode, you get new ones. You know, at this point, I think self-replicating mimes would have been the better option because you need to have just a bunch of guys in space in in a box and bore the Jem'Hadar to death. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the gen- they would just go. They would just be so confused by it they couldn't fly past them. All right, okay. <laughs> I think we've devoted enough time to the I, little I bit liked... in the middle of this episode that made me go. I'm not sure that works. But I liked the visual on it too, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Tholian web of mines. Yeah, uh, and Dax doing all of the delivery of the mines, and then um, Martok showing up. Now, it's, why it's didn't moment. why didn't Dominion ships come through the wormhole? Up to the point of the mines and just start shooting at the Dominion at the uh, Defiant. Then, well, haven't they established that they're coming through in waves? So, if they've been monitoring the pattern of the waves, they presumably know a point where they're not going to be coming through. And why wouldn't the Dominion say, "There's certain mines in there. Get in there." Because so where you, the wave where you had originally planned. In the conversation Wayun has with Cisco, he makes it quite clear that the mines have all been deposited in such a way before they could do that. And he actually says, "You need to stop doing that. We can't bring any more ships through." And Cisco's all, uh, "That's the point." I love the way Wayun plays it in this episode too. Though. Oh, he he's brilliant in this episode. Which which it you know it it really just kind of shows you the levels of him too, though, because when he's talking to Cisco. It's so obvious that, you know, the two of them are just kind of yesing each other to death, but neither of them means what they're talking about. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and they're talking about that, and you're sitting there saying, you can't fall for this, and they don't. Mm. They're both, they both they both know the other one's full of crap. But then you hear him talking about their new friendship with Bajor, mm. and that almost sounds like he really means it when he says it, except you already have this other conversation where you know you can't trust anything that comes out of his mouth. But he does believe in the non-aggression pact with Bajor. That's what makes he, him interesting. He believes it's beneficial for now and will follow up on it because those yeah. are his orders. Yes. But that doesn't mean that they wouldn't turn back on it the second that it suits them. Like, yes. you don't trust him enough. Like when, you, know, you understand from the start, once the Dominion has the foothold in, in the Alpha Quadrant, they're going to just run roughshod over everything. They're not going to... You know they're not going to worry about oh these are our friends. They, they're going to they're going to you know use Bajor to whatever extent they can. I'm not exactly sure why it benefits the Dominion to have a non-aggression pact with Bajor. You know, to me, Bajor uh, are intrinsically linked to the the changelings. Mm-hmm. So um, they believe that they are the gods. So this would be because the the founders themselves are saying leave Bajor alone. 
Yeah, because look how deferential he is to Odo mm-hmm. when he's on the station, and that's why I yeah. believe that he will honor that agreement with Bajor. I don't understand the link between Bajor and the changelings, though. You're going to have to refresh I my memory. I think getting that through Odo. Perhaps. Yes, I, Odo is on a Bajoran station. Just Bajoran clothes. He has the links with Bajor. Yeah, why do the rest of the changelings care, or the Dominion for that matter? Because I, they I don't want Odo don't back want... and they don't want to piss him off. Yeah, it's not that the rest of the Dominion particularly cares about Bajor, it's that they care that the god figure is friends with Bajor. That, that all falls flat in my mind. It really does. I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, say, I'm thinking they're going to say, "Well, I'm sorry, Odo. You know, we feel bad that your your little friends are going to be gone. But if it if it if it's going to diminish our ability to take over the Alpha Quadrant, you're going to have to be sad." No, I, I don't think they do that. I think the faith and the religion is more important to them than that. To, to the Bajorans, yes. But not to the no, no, I think I think it is to the Dominion. Yeah. No, I don't think the changelings. The Dominion's faith is to the changelings. <clears throat> yes, not and it's Odo. It's Odo that they are being referential to. In, but, in but, this episode, everything Weyun does is succor to to Odo. It's to get Odo on side. Yeah, and and Weyun wants that. I I'm totally with you on that. But my point is, the Dominion itself is ruled by the changelings. Not Odo, the changelings. Odo is not really one of... He's one of them biologically, but he's not one of them... He's not part of their group, correct? We're, we're, we're together on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but why would that so make The changelings themselves are giving the orders to the Dominion troops, the, the Jemadar and, 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 and you know what, what they need done. So what do they care about Bajor? They're not trying because to... Because they do whatever the changelings tell them to. And, that, and the and, changelings and, and don't really change that Odo likes Bajor. No, but they want Odo to come back to the Great Link. So if yep. they piss Odo off and alienate him further, that's going to be even more reason why he would never want to come back to the Great Link. Powers, stuff like that, they wouldn't do that? I think it just irks them that they have one of their own that doesn't want to be with them. I think that's the issue with the changelings. Yeah, I think it does too, but I don't think they would change their entire war strategy based on that. In the grand scheme of things, does Bajor really matter? Yeah, that's, that's, what that's, 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 that's probably what, what, well. what they look what at. Does Bajor matter to them? No, right. but it, that's my—that's what you're getting to my point here. Is the changelings don't care about maintaining Bajor? That's in right. In fact, Bajor is much, much more important to the Federation than it is to the, the Dominion. So, what advantage does the Dominion get in saying we're not going to attack Bajor? I think it's the hubris of the changelings that they Federation. think. No, I think it's the hubris of the Dominion and the changelings that. Oh yeah, we'll sign this not non-aggression pact. It's more important for us to try to get Odo back on our side. We don't care about Bajor, but in the end, it will matter. See, that's—I guess—that's where we're disagreeing. Is I don't think the non-aggression pact has is 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 fueled by Odo. I just don't see that. But at the same time, the non-aggression pact will be obeyed because of Odo. I think the non-aggression pact will be obeyed because that's what the changelings want. I just don't understand why that's what the changelings want, other than Odo. Yeah, well, I think that's it. It's the other than Odo. They want Odo. And in the grand scheme of the invasion, Bajor just doesn't matter. And then they also have don't have to waste time and resources trying to dominate Bajor. Hmm. Oh, I think I think the Dominion would run roughshod over over Bajor in a day. I, that's the point, and I think it's it's a it's a strategic location for the Federation, not for the Dominion, but for the Federation. So by by destroying it or or just you know running over it, I think they hurt the Federation in a way that they'd like to. Yeah, but I don't think by, they care by that much about after, how no, they don't. They don't care either way about Bajor. They don't give a damn either way. So why not not do anything to it in the hope of bringing Odo online, because he is this big religious figure to Weyoun, because at the same time, they've already got Cardassia. Right, so if, if they come in and... So, okay, so now they're under the pretenses of, hey, we're just here to help Cardassia. You know, we're the good guys. If they come in and just attack and take over Bajor, now they've, they're showing their true face and they don't want to do that either. They're still trying to play the part of a benevolent superpower. We don't want to cause this. They're making the Federation actually look bad by mining the wormhole. They're making the Federation look like the bad guy. 
because the Federation, they're forcing the Federation to become the one that's the aggressor. Even though in the meanwhile, they're, they're slowly just, hey, yeah, we're just sending some convoys over to Cardassia. Don't look at us. Pay no attention behind the curtain of all the ships we're bringing in and building up shipyards and doing all this other stuff. They're forcing the Federation to take the role of the bad guy and mine the wormhole. And now they can claim, you know, say, oh, look, we're, oh, we're just responding to, to this aggression. If they had come through the wormhole and attacked the shit out of Bajor, that might have galvanized the rest of of the quadrant to turn against them earlier. I'm not saying that your argument isn't well thought out and all. For me. I just, <laughs> no, just in general. I think it's it's, it's fine. And it, it makes a certain amount of sense. I, it just doesn't fly for me. I don't think that they would care. I think they'd be more concerned about putting a hurting on the Federation and I think beating up beating on on Bejo would would give them that when they when they made their non-aggression pact with Cardassia they're getting a real benefit from that because they're getting the Cardassian troops on their side but Bejo has none of that to offer Bejo really isn't offering them anything except for if we sign this pact with you uh, you won't hurt us we're not going to really give you anything but you won't hurt us so so the only thing that you've really presented to me that makes any sense is that, well, we're doing it to make Odo happy. And I just don't think that they would do that to make Odo happy, because I think they'd say, you know, Odo, go be sad, go sit in the corner, we don't care. Well, it's would, more... would, would religious fundamentalists do that with their god? Not not the uh, the troops and the borders, but they're taking their orders from the other changelings. Mm-hmm. And I think the well, other changelings would say, is... I think the other changelings would say, too bad. Odo, go cry. Leave me alone. No, I, I don't think they would. I think we've already established that for some reason, for whatever reason, Odo is popular to the Great Link. He's needed to the Great Link. They want him as part of the Link. And if, if like exactly like Bill says, Bejo doesn't matter either way. So if they can have the non-aggression pact with Bejo in the hope of keeping Odo on side, which also ties into Weyoun's personal religious beliefs that Odo is a deity, then that's fine. I think you're right in your saying that Bejor doesn't matter to them. But me and Bill are coming at it from the point of view that because Bejor doesn't matter to them, and Odo being a, a religious figure does, they will maintain that status quo. They will obey that pact because of that. It isn't necessarily a case of, well, Odo, we don't care about Odo, go off, we're going to do what we do. Bejor just isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. And they gain more from obeying the pact and hopefully keeping Odo on side than they do by just carpet bombing Beja. I'm running the risk of being repetitive, but I just I just feel like by hurting by getting Beja under their control, they really don't gain a lot. By hurting Beja, they hurt the Federation. So that's that's kind of where I see it as a strategic move there. It doesn't really give them anything to have it on their side, but it hurts the Federation if they destroy it. Especially considering its its location to the wormhole, because it gives them a strategic uh, ability to defend a little bit better, having Bejo there. But ultimately, I guess our our fundamental you know disagreement is whether or not the changelings of the Great Link would <clears throat> give in to Odo's desires. Well, that's what I, look for Wayun and, and for the Dominion. They don't differentiate Odo from the Great Link. He's part of it. So for them, he's still part of the deity that they are serving, worshiping, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, because they call him founder. Yeah, so the, it's it's just like approaching the Great Link, even though Odo's an entity in and of itself, they don't differentiate that the way we do. So it's like, oh. let's not piss off the, the portion of our deity that's on the station. Well, I still think they're taking their orders from the other, from the other quadrant anyway, though. Not from Odo. So, you know, I guess we're going to just agree to disagree on this one because I'm not saying you guys don't have a good point. We're agreeing that I, I disagree with the three of you. <laughs> okay. We're agreeing that you're wrong and I'm right. I, I don't think I signed that non aggression pact. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, look, I'll sum it up for you in, in one Bill, word. Bill's been sitting here mine, mining Skype with self-replicating <laughs> mimes. Mimes, self-replicating mimes. You're gonna you're gonna log into Skype and there's gonna be a mime on your screen, trapped on your monitor. No, I'm gonna plot. It's the plot. Move on. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same explanation as the as the self-replicating mind. It's the plot. Okay, so what else do we have to discuss here? We got the the wedding. We how, talked about how, that a little bit. How utterly slimy Gul Dukat is when he goes to Cisco and says, "I don't suppose you care to surrender." He's <laughs> such a 
twat, isn't he? Yeah, and I love that he immediately says, oh, I was hoping for that, and clicks off. He's like, yeah. Oh, that's all he wanted, was just to give him a, a cursory chance to prove that he's not going to surrender. And once Ducat comes into the frame, he just steals the entire show. He is such a slimy bastard. His obsequience towards Weyoun, whenever <sighs> Weyoun's in the room with him, but then his, his utter disregard for him when he's not there... He's such a two-faced, slimy bastard. I love him. Yeah. And then we... on to Bejor and Wayun. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. Have we talked about the, the scene with for, uh, with Quark and Rom? Well, the marriage scene. No, where Rom is staying behind and working on... Oh, right, yeah. yeah he's like, oh, yeah. You're an idiot. I'm a spy, brother. <laughs> but he's like, you know, we belong together. We're brothers. And there's a moment where, you know, in his own way, Quark shows genuine genuine emotion towards his brother. And it's yeah, very, genuine very sweet. affection. Part. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where the, the episode really won me over, was that scene and the scene between Jadzia and Worf. Yeah, where she, she says, I will marry you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that leads that um, yeah that leads to some fun stuff but that that moment is we may never see each other so here's here's a reason to survive yeah i lo- i also love what this is also doing to garrick who, who literally is a man without a country hey yeah. can i come with you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> i promise not to kill you all again. well he, he even he even goes to Ordo and says, you can always deputize me and Ordo's like not a chance yeah no you you killed some crew members last time dude <laughs> we forgot uh, but there's also now. there's also that wonderful moment where Garrick's like, I should have shot Ducat in the back when I had the chance. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to take on these Klingons alone. <laughs> yeah. Is but it? it's like, had he done that, none of this would now be happening. And then when Rom, I mean, we already mentioned Jake staying behind, but when Rom's like, uh, Jake, what are you doing here? <laughs> Rom, Rom and, um, Nog are actually really good in this episode. They've really become proper officers. Yeah. Well, this episode is, is you kind of hit on a little bit, it's all recurring characters. And they all have something relevant to do without shortchanging the, the, the main cast. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if any of the main cast gets a bit of short shrift in this one, it's Jadzia again. And more and more, I'm actually starting to see why Terry Farrell left. Yeah, because she's been short shrifted most of the season. Yeah, and as we go into season six, spoilers, this will be her last season uh, on the show and it's one of those things she traded one more season's worth of employment on Deep Space Nine for what six seasons of whatever sitcom she did with Ted Danson yep better Becker. yep so you know that's probably not a bad trade off in Hollywood money economically yeah and then she got to marry Adam Nimoy mm. well, her character <laughs> now going into this next season did they know it was going to be her last season no, apparently not. And apparently we will finally find out the reasons why on the upcoming Deep Space Nine documentary. Because Iris Stephen Burr has teased on Twitter that he found out stuff from her doing the interviews for this documentary that he did not know. And he oh. was executive producer of the show. I mean, because she does get an uptick at the beginning of the season, at least for her character. Mm. Yeah. When and, uh, when will that documentary become available to us? Uh, or, when ha- or when did that documentary become available to us? <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, when I, it does, I, I'd like to do a special episode on it. Yeah, I would too, because uh, I think we should all get hold of a copy of that and, and support it, because it, it looks like it's going to be an interesting documentary. And also because Iris Stephen Burr isn't a let's make everything all shiny and roses. He seems quite willing to be open about the difficulties and the problems as well as the successes. I don't know. The last I heard on Twitter from him was he pushed it back slightly because he wants to upconvert all of the clips of Deep Space Nine to HD to potentially show show Paramount how good the show could look with a full HD transfer and try and convince them to do it. Oh, yeah, we definitely want to support that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what, are we, do we have any other points to make about this episode? Uh, this was one of the last ones that was actually using actual models and CGI combined after this. Like, uh, I think going, think going into most of next season and, and beyond, everything is CGI. Mm. I love the shot of the fleet at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what made me bring bring that up. I guess there was a couple flubs in there, like one of the Galaxy classes actually has a, a Enterprise hull number on it. Does that? I did not notice that. Well, yeah, not that we could zoom in and tell, you know. Mm. Yeah, see in HD, you can't really spot that. Uh, I think I think that was a good move at this point because as, as as I don't know if this has been left in the show, but I am currently rewatching Babylon Five as well, and for all the problems with the CG in Babylon Five, the scope and 
just the texture and the work and the camera maneuvers of the CG battle scenes are much better in Babylon 5 than they are in this. This is still working on the single level axis like they're all spare, um, boats. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. once we start getting into the CG, they can actually start doing more interesting camera angles. Now, Babylon 5 CG in the first season was a little raw and not yeah. as well refined as it as it, as it goes on to be much better, but but yeah, but it was more dynamic with a lot of the scenes and how space combat was, and mm-hmm. yeah, well, everything. Was, we're not all the, the same plane. That was right. the trade off on Babylon Five, wasn't it? It was we could not afford to do this with models. We can afford to do it with CG, but the CG isn't quite there yet, and they made the decision to be more adventurous and during than be perfect. Mm-hmm. Because because Deep Space Nine gets the shit kicked out of it in this episode, <laughs> and yet doesn't seem to suffer anything much in the way of damage. Yeah, <laughs> it, it seems to all be superficial and just uh, you know tech that gets damaged, and that's pretty much it. I mean, one so, of the things I did love about the battle was Worf basically for the first time ever gets the handcuffs taken off, and Cisco basically says to him, "Go for your life, fire whatever you want, do what you need to do," and he blows the shit out of the Dominion that are attacking. He, he takes about six down straight after that order, and it's like we're finally seeing Worf do what he wants to do. I would have thought the second he was uh, that the handcuffs were off, he would just ram somebody. <laughs> ram <him>. Ramming speed, <laughs> sir. We're down to eighty-five percent. Ramming speed. Shields yeah, the front. So can fix it. <laughs> Ram anyway. But it's it's the the, the Gulder Cat and Demar. It's nice to see Demar back again. Uh, him and Demar's interactions with Weyoun. I mean, I think those little 3D things that they have on the shoulders are remarkably clunky and must have been a pain in the ass for the actors. But the actual scenes between the three of them are brilliant. I also love the moment where Kira walks onto the bridge and says, I have to officially complain on behalf of the Bajoran government. And Cisco says, complaint noted. And Kira basically says, right, well, now that's out of the way. Yep. Reporting for duty. <laughs> Actually applauded at that. I'm not ashamed to say it. Either. Yes. It was a it was a great moment. It's also interesting since she had the baby, Nana Visitor hasn't been dying of her. And both me and Angela, when we were watching this, were wondering was that was that because she had the baby and she didn't want any toxins getting into breast milk or whatever, I don't know. Normally, yeah. You're right. That's why I don't want to dye my hair. I don't dye my hair either. Me either, Bill. Okay, I don't either. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Bill, you and I are the only ones who have hair. You you realize that, right? Oh man, that's Yeah. For now. Kidding me? I have a mane of hair like Stalin. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I keep slowly abdicating on the top in a circle, slowly spiraling out until I'll, you know, I'm going to have a monk's hairdo in a while. A t- typical horseshoe pattern? Well, no, 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 because I still got it in the front. It's just like, it's where my double calic is in the back of my... You know, people don't care about our hair, all right? Move on. <laughs> I, I only go with that with, with Seinfeld when uh, Elaine was dating a guy who was... It's just such a diversion here, but she was dating a guy who shaved his head. And then, like, he, he got upset when he realized that he was going bald while his head was shaven. And, and he sits with George to, to get some advice. And George is like, oh, you could see it's receding in a tip, typical horseshoe pattern. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, do we want to read a, read an email from Blaine or do we want to uh, rate this? We got, we've uh, we not got any- finished. Oh, we got more. We've got more. We've not even touched upon Cisco's speech at the end. Cisco's absolutely magnificent speech, where it just shows how much he's grown as a character. That when the first episode heard he didn't want to be there, had no interest in it, wanted to resign, and then you get this magnificent moment at the end of it. It isn't quite William Shatner swagger, but it's still a great moment when he says, "I will not. I will. I promise you, I will be back." And he leaves his baseball on the desk to basically say the same thing to Decat. <laughs> such a subtle way to do it, too. I love that. Yeah, and such a good way of pissing him off. It's like, you know I'm coming back, dude. And, and, and Ducat is that, so that arrogant. knew it immediately. Yeah, and he's so arrogant as well. He's going to leave it there because he wants him to come back. He wants this fight to carry on. There is absolutely no love lost between the two of them. Uh, I love Garrick on the ship saying uh, can I come with you and as he was talking I heard I heard Paul I got nowhere else to go <laughs> <laughs> I just I just loved it I loved all of this entire episode I think we could talk about this one for hours just the little subtle nuances of the moment we've not even mentioned Martok 
Martok's brilliant in this episode, and he doesn't really have a lot to do. And when Cisco actually says to him, you know, come back, and Martok says, where I fight them really doesn't matter to me. I will fight them at the border, or I'll fight them here on Deep Space Nine. Don't care. Was that a Churchill? I will fight them on the beaches. Fight them on the beaches. Victim them in the trenches. Yep, and then they welcome them to Deep Space Nine when Order and Kira are the only ones left on the brig, and then they blow all the computers to hell. <laughs> oh, you know, all of this is just brilliant cliffhanger stuff. This is a brilliant episode from start to finish. Well, you know, one thing that um, we've touched upon in some past episodes is why doesn't the Federation have a decent amount of backup at the wormhole and it's kind of touched upon in this because when they do decide to mine the wormhole it's like no we don't have any ships in the area to help defend the defiant while it lays on the mine so you're gonna have to get help from the klingons well we find out that now i don't know how long this has been in in in, you know in the making but they actually had the um the the federation klingon task force Mm -hmm. make an attack on the dominion shipyards Mm. So that could be explained like that's they've been slowly possibly rerouting forces and le- heading them wait thinking this is going to happen. And that's why they haven't had as much backup at the wormhole mm-hmm. at the station. Yeah, all of that. Uh, but my my bit at the end as well, where um, Rom goes to Quark and basically just gets his job back. And then rather stupidly in the middle of the bar, <laughs> tells Quark. By the way, I'm a spy. And I'm like, you fucking knobhead. You would say That's... that in private. No, not Rom, though. Not Rom, yeah. Rom is a brilliant engineer, but he's not too bright otherwise. No, he's not. That's very true. And it's Quark's reaction, though, that sells it. It's Quark going, okay, all right. I'm letting <laughs> him do it. Well, that got awkward. <laughs> nope. It, we, well, uh, I'm not other... saying anything. Last time I said something about doing something, I got yelled at. No, 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 it's fine. And the, the, you've got the bit at the end where Cisco realized Jake stayed behind. It's really impressive where he's, I can't turn around. I can't go back for one man, which we've seen Star Trek do on any number of occasions, do ridiculous tactical things, tactical mistakes to save one member of the cast because they're in the opening credits. And the fact that you've got Cisco here saying, I can't do it. I can't go back for him. I cannot risk everybody's lives for one person, even if he is my son, was a nice realistic touch. You've got Ducat's swagger when he walks back onto the promenade at the end when he's got Deep Space Nine back and Wayun's like, yeah, but it was a victory, but it's cost us a lot. Like 50 oh. ships. Now, now is that 50 ships just a, just in the attack on the station, or is that counting ships in the in the shipyard that was destroyed? That's what I wasn't sure of. I kind of took it as ships that attacked the station. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I, I wasn't thinking it was the shipyard. I mean, your, your interpretation could be correct, but I'm thinking shipyard. I'm thinking attacking, actually engaged in battle as opposed to ships that were being created. I don't know if they knew about the shipyards yet. Yeah, isn't that the next mm. episode? Oh, yeah, it's true, yeah. Well, I mean, they do mention it at the end of this episode. That's right. in Cisco's speech. But oh, yeah, the, uh, the one quote um, uh, where Ducat says, "I've been waiting for this moment for five years. First, we reclaim Tarak Nor, and then on to Bajor, and then uh, then we let's not get ahead of ourselves. Or must I remind you that Dominion decided an aggression pact with Bajor? Uh, the the Dominion might have. I never did." And then, uh, you know... And Wayun slaps him back down. The Dominion will honor its treaty, and as a member of Dominion, you will honor it as well. Where the Dominion leads, I will follow. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Gilmore Girls theme plays. (laughs) Which one? The la-la-la-la-la. No, if you lead... I can follow where we should do next, Andy. Kill more guys. Kill more guys. <laughs> yeah, and everyone switches off. <laughs> listen, listen to the Gilmore. I, I do. Listen as to the Gilmore. As we embrace our feminine sides. I like that show. I don't yeah. care. I what, love Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is brilliant. I, I have no opinion on it. I've never seen it. I don't expect to ever see it. Dave, I love it. I have a loose mug. Ooh, but that's three. Sorry, you could replace me. I'm easily replaced. You said it. We didn't. It's just because it's reality. <laughs> it's only because it's reality. Uh, I guess it's we should have a mannequin with a Stalin hairstyle on it. Yeah, all you, all you need is somebody with somebody willing to go out and buy a good wig. But we can't match that facial hair, Paul. Oh, here comes Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat? Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat wants his morning breakfast. Does Gold Ducat have a rating on this episode? Uh, Well, I'm not the one who gives the first rating this time, so. I was well, do we do the rating or Blaine first? Rating. Okay. Because we don't uh, want to be uh, swayed by Blaine's uh, Canadian messages. His Canadian <laughs> I'm, I'm, logic. I'm, I'm, 
<laughs> no time to unravel that Canadian logic. Uh, I'm being uh, thrown off my own, our own format here, which I should be used to this. But anyway, uh, despite the nitpicks that I kind of argued with you guys, I just thought this was a fantastic episode. Uh, as I said in the you know the beginning, I, I was on the edge of my seat throughout it. Uh, I thought it was just terrific. It moved the storyline forward. It moved the confrontation forward. It left enough on the table, obviously, to do two more seasons. Uh, but in my mind watching this, I couldn't see how you do it over two seasons because they're bringing so much to a head. I would have thought it would all be done in one. But they did a terrific job. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself talking about what they do in the future. But they just, you know, it, it's, you know, Andy said, you know, it's not a typical cliffhanger and he was right. In that there isn't one little thing that you're saying, well, how are they going to resolve this? But the confrontation, as I said, is coming to a head, and it really made me sit there and say, oh, I can't wait for next season to begin. So it's it's kind of the perfect cliffhanger because it's a full story, but it still makes you very anxious to see what's going to come next. Uh, so it's a five. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a five on this one as well. I think it brings everything to a head that they've been building up brilliantly whilst kicking it off in the direction that they're going to go down for season six it shows how good you can do serialized storytelling when you've been setting it up as well as they have been doing and i think it's a testament to this episode that we've taught for that entire one and not had to go to memory alpha to find talking points once Five. Yeah, I'm giving uh, it a five as well. For for all the reasons that have been listed so far, it's just it was great start to finish. It had the right emotional resonance as well as being just moving the ball really, really far down the field. So do I give this five self-replicating minds or do I give this <laughs> five Tellarite wedding dresses? Because I'm wondering what I look like in a Tellarite wedding dress. Oh, you'd be I wanted to see I wanted to see Chess Masterson in a typical Ferengi wedding. Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to see her in a. Uh, what was uh, what was the one where they have the naked weddings? Uh, <laughs> Ferengi. For, no, Ferengi's do well. The females are naked. Oh, Betazoid. Betazoid. Yeah. Betazoid. I wanted to see her in a typical Betazoid wedding. Yeah, but everybody would have to be naked there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking at anyone else. Mm-hmm. Although perhaps Shadzia would be attending or or uh, Kira. Hmm. I see your point. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I'll go five self-replicating minds because that's just terrifying. Minds or mimes. Mimes. Okay. Thank you, mimes. 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 Oh. So that, that calls a wrap to season five, but what does Blaine think of the wrap-up? What does Blaine say? Yo, he's here. He's here to give us what he says today. That's a wrap. <laughs> I, I think we should just close out the episode right there. Let's just <laughs> drop the mic and let's go. But I'm going to read Blaine's letter anyway. Drop Man. the mic, psych! Man, that was great. Very tense with politics, action, intrigue, social commentary, and everything else that makes DS9 great. Jake's choice to stay behind, building on his earlier episode with Bashir, makes for a very interesting turn. Ben Sisko's love of baseball makes for a meaningful message that is too subtle for most to pick up on, but Takat knows exactly what's going on. Rom's Casablanca speech was enjoyable. Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. I can't believe we forgot to mention that. That was absolutely fantastic. The only thing thing about that is, would you believe Rom has actually seen Casablanca? Uh, I don't think it mattered. I think it was just no, a generic was so speech, but it was. But it was so fun when you realised what he was doing was my when, as a viewer when I was watching it. I going, he's doing bloody Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> he probably googled great movie speeches and came up with Casablanca. <laughs> Better than when Harry met Sally. <laughs> Kira's official objection was great. Odo's status with Kira is interesting. Martok's return to glory is worth cheering, and Cisco's acceptance of his role all resonate because they've spent so much time building character for these people over the past five years in general and the past few months in particular deep space nine found its footing a few seasons ago but now it's really moving (laughs) every time i think it's up to speed something new comes up and i remember that it's going what it's going to become it's going to stretch my self-discipline to keep up my routine of watching another season of voyager before coming back to ds9 but at least that will motivate me to get through that series it's kind of sad. You have to, he's got to dangle the biscuit of season six of DS9 in order to watch a season of Voyager. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Blaine, I think if we read between the lines, Blaine sees this as a five. Uh, and, and we agree. Maybe Blaine can explain what a self-replicating mime or mime is. <laughs> 
a self-replicating mime. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> did you did you just get that now, Andy? No, no, I but all the way through, I've just been chuckling away at it. The full terror just settled in, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> just the idea of I'm now suddenly surrounded by mimes doing that pulling the rope thing. <laughs> every, time a ship, every time a ship comes in, they do the pulling the rope thing like they're pulling the ship <laughs> Yeah, they, they stand at the airlock doing that. <laughs> <laughs> they open the airlock and they act like they're walking against the wind. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, see now that would be that would be like the strategy. They act like they're walking against the wind, so somebody thinks the airlock is open. They press the button and it does open. <laughs> Listen to the they prophets. Blow out space. into space. Listen to the prophets. And then they're stuck in the box. Podcast. That's how, that's, that's how the the mimes defeated the uh, the monster in Alien. <laughs> Mimes versus Jem'Hadar. What? Next time on an all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets Season 6, baby! And it's a time to stand. A time of conflict. Three months of bloody slaughter and what have you got to show for it? A time of desperation. We can't keep taking these kinds of losses, sir. Not if we expect to win this. A time of chaos. We are winning the war. I am no longer in command of the Defiant. A time of destruction. War isn't over yet. Now it's time to stand. We'll be going right back to the front line. You have to return fire. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. A time to stand, a time to... Nah, I got nothing. Andy, nobody asked you what was coming up. Uh-oh. I just did it anyway. Yeah. That's a signal that Andy needs to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I need a piss. <laughs> Andy's got to go walkies. All right, well, goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm, d- I'm saying goodbye, but I'm a mime. You can't see me. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm going out with a piss. Bill is waving to Skype. <laughs> Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Wow, you're teaching me English. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, yes. The proper English. Oh, proper English. I had to keep my mouth shut the other night. Because Holly and I went to see, uh, they were screening Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, oh, yeah. The lady comes up to introduce the movie because it's a it's a party atmosphere. And she's like, Romeo and Juliet's one of the greatest love stories. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not f***ing a love story. No, it, no it's not. Definitely <laughs> quite not. bad. Yeah. And then, she, and then she followed up with, I used to teach school. I'm like, oh, dear God. <laughs> That's always a great way to start a conversation. <laughs> I cry for our youths. Well, she does it now. Now she works at a movie theater, so. <laughs> and it was the Romeo and Juliet controversy that got up for it. Now you take this poison. What? <laughs> right, we're going just... to t- drink it together on three. Ready? And one and a two. Hey, I you're do. not drinking. <laughs>